Strata Life or Strata Strife? Tony Giaventu from CHOA, the Condominium Homeowners Association, is in studio with us this morning. We'll talk about the Civil Resolution Tribunal now in beta. We're going to talk about the impact that Airbnb is having on Strata. And the question, is your Strata company, your management company, charging too much in the way of fees and other costs? We'll get into those topics and we'll open up the phones as well. John, what are the stories that we're talking about on Vancouver Real Estate today? A number of headlines this week, Ian, concerning housing, real estate, of course, the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in Vancouver. But I want to start with the Real Estate Council. This is the board that has overseen probably the biggest public relations scandal for realtors in the history of the province. And here they are getting a pat on the back and, and reappointed to the same board. That was NDP housing critic David Eby talking about Premier Christy Clark's decision of reappointing two members of the Real Estate Council of BC. He says it'll be impossible to restore public confidence unless something changes. I think at a minimum, the Premier needs to rescind these orders and appoint new people to the board that are independent experts. Three of the 16 members on council are selected by the B.C. government. He says a realtor who's committed fraud should lose their license no matter what. CKNW did reach out to Premier Christy Clark for comment but did not hear back. Well, as I said, the Prime Minister came, he listened, but ultimately didn't promise anything to tackle what he calls Metro Vancouver's affordable housing crisis. Justin Trudeau met with a number of experts in the housing sector, like Tom Davidoff, who we spoke to last week with UBC. Davidoff says it's clear the bottom 99% of wage earners here are totally priced out. Just about nobody who lives and works here can afford a single-family home. Really? We're going to ban townhomes for a couple that's a lawyer and a doctor? It's madness. Andy Yang with SFU City Program says foreign ownership was brought up along with many other issues. But I really have to emphasize that the discussion re- uh, really, I think, really needs to move on not only to about what's being built, but who are we building for? And ultimately, who are we trying to house he says the answer is the local workforce and, of course, young people. Labor law lawyer with Roper Grail LLP, Jeff Howard, says Justin Trudeau told the room he is not afraid to lean on other levels of government. So there was a lot of talk about changes that could be made at the provincial and municipal level. There's certainly a very strong statement from the developers who are there. CEO of BC Nonprofit Housing Association, Keyshawn Roy, says Trudeau perked up over talk about vulnerable citizens here. We were really keyed in on the rental housing, and in particular social housing and homelessness, and I saw his head really nodding and being very expressive uh, and interested in those issues. So what did Prime Minister Justin Trudeau say when he was here about foreign cash? He says it has played a part in pushing prices up, of course, in Toronto and Vancouver, but he says single measures such as taxing offshore owners could end up backfiring. The federal government does have some pretty big tools uh, and levers to pull, except uh, anything we do for Vancouver and maybe for Toronto, which is facing it a little bit, uh, would possibly have unintended consequences in housing markets across the country that aren't facing the same pressures. So we want to be able to really target it. Joining the Prime Minister for that housing affordability roundtable this week were a number of experts, as I just mentioned. Among them, Generation Squeeze's Paul Kershaw, who offered his first steps. We need to shift increasingly towards housing wealth taxation and perhaps shift away from income taxation as one t- uh, one tool to signal a cooling of the housing market. Two, we do need new opportunities to build supply, 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 including tackling issues of single detached housing in hot spots like Metro Vancouver and Toronto. 
Kershaw says the sky-high cost of daycare for young families must also be addressed. Vancouver Mayor Gregor Robertson, of course, in on those talks. He continues to point to the B.C. government, who he says is in the driver's seat when it comes to the real estate market here. He says the province is the regulator and has the tools to bring effective change. He says the federal government, though, also has a role to play. Well, we do need to see a, a reinvestment in uh, in low- and middle-income housing, uh, you know, rental housing, uh, social housing, co-ops. Uh, the federal government... Uh, in recent decades uh, bailed on uh, on most of their housing commitments and it's good to see the Trudeau government picking up that mantle and, and rolling out a national housing strategy. In other news this week, the B.C. government purchased the former Central Care Home and will use it to offer more than 140 additional housing units for local homeless people. That includes the people who are camped out at the local tent city in Victoria. The province bought the building for $11 million and they will convert it into long-term supportive housing. Some people at the homeless camp indicate they have no desire to leave and plan on digging in for the long haul. Well, with the current flooding in northeastern BC, if you heard the news this morning, you know just how bad it is. And the floods that hit West Vancouver, I thought, Ian, we should talk about flood insurance for your home. Mm-hmm. Approximately 20 people were evacuated from their homes in the 4400 block of Marine Drive in West Vancouver this past week. That was because Cypress Creek flooded its banks due to heavy rains. Hundreds in Chetwin and Dawson Creek forced from their homes because of flooding. So a new report from the international insurance provider finds that Canadian homeowners are still seriously unprepared for damage from severe floods. The study was done by Swiss RE. They found that only about 40% of annual flood damage is covered by insurance. And that leaves homeowners and government responsible to make up the difference. Canada is the only G7 country that leaves homeowners largely unprotected from the financial losses that are caused by floods. Well, real estate records were broken once again for May here in BC. The BC Real Estate Association says a little more than 1,300 units were sold last month. That's up more than 32% when you compare it to this time last year. The total dollars sold in BC, a whopping $9.72 billion, up 50% from May of last year. The average price for a home in BC is a little more than $720,000. Even with construction at a record pace, the association says demand continues to overshadow housing supply. A small victory for Port Coquitlam residents in that have been opposed to the growing monster homes in their area. City Council passed a bylaw to restrict the size of homes that are allowed on agricultural land. Here's Councillor Brad West. Offshore investors were coming in, buying up farmland, building huge mansions and taking that farmland away from farmers to be able to farm it. He says council decided to limit the size of homes to 5,300 square feet, cutting the size of homes almost in half being built already. Well, in Vancouver. There are so many stories that have not been heard yet. That is Chanel Lee of the Joyce Area Residents Association talking about the proposed development in the area. City Council will be hearing from concerned locals and voting on the project this week. The development plan includes at least five new towers and the rezoning of almost 180 single-family homes. Lee says it would be devastating to see that plan move forward. It would be heartbreaking. It would be heartbreaking to see that the city is going to go ahead and, and uh, you know, pass this plan. Lee says residents are concerned of being displaced from their homes as well as traffic and affordability. And lastly, I'll leave you with this scene of Vancouver City Councilors calling on the province to crack down on Airbnb hosts by targeting the service itself. Jeff Meg says that short-term rental sites are responsible for hosts dodging taxes. 
they've been allowing people using some of these online platforms to not not pay the um, provincial sales tax and hotel tax. And uh, my view is that the uh, online platforms like Airbnb should be collecting that tax because they're the point of sale. Meg says the service can then charge hosts who are too hard for governments to track. The motion will be debated at the end of the month, after which Meg says Vancouver will take it to the Union of BC Municipalities, and those are some of the stories that made headlines this week. A business is a business is a business, and they should pay tax. We're going to get into that a little bit, uh, the topic of Airbnb and how it applies to your strata. If you live in a strata, a condo, a townhouse, or any kind of a strata arrangement, you'll want to stay with us. Our guest is Tony Gioventu. He's the executive director of the Condominium Homeowners Association, and uh, you probably know him quite well, but we'll uh, go beyond the headlines and get into some details when we come back on Vancouver Real Estate Today on News Talk 980 CKNW. Tony Giaventu is the executive director of CHOA, the Condominium Homeowners Association. He's also an author, broadcaster, speaker, educator, and currently he serves as a member of the Real Estate Council of BC's Independent Advisor Group to examine real estate practices in BC. And we always appreciate you coming in. Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure, as always. Got to start with this um, this advisory group that you're on. Um, I didn't uh, ask you, uh, John and I didn't want you to come in necessarily to talk about that, but we're waiting for this report. The final report uh, was supposed to come out in early June. What's happening with that? Uh, well, the report was delayed a bit because the committee asked for more time to be able to explore more information and to look at it a little closer. So uh, it will be the report and the announcement of the report will be in the next few weeks. Okay. We'll look forward to that and we'll put that to the side because there's, I guess there's not really much you're going to be able to tell us at this time. Nothing. Or get into it. <laughs> um, although We can ask. John, John will hold you. and You can, you and, can ask. Pummel me down, but it's we'll not pummel going to you happen. a little bit. Look, Tony, uh, you're a guy that's been uh, watching real estate uh, for a long time in this market. Uh, what's your overview? Do you see us in a bubble? Are we in a crisis? Um, do you see a correction in the market? And if so, what would that look like? There's a whole pile of stuff right there. Well, if I could answer any of those questions competently, I could probably pick the winning numbers for the next lottery. <laughs> uh, it's anybody's guess, but but we're in a, a I think really in a and everyone collectively agrees on this, is that we're in a variety of circumstances that have kind of come together for the perfect storm. We have a housing shortage. We have high demands. We have an economy that's robust. Uh, it's a stable economy worldwide uh, for investors to look at um, investment. We have lots of lo- local investors um, who are holding property for speculation. And and the the economy of housing has changed. I, I think that's, that's also recognized in the real estate industry, the economy of real estate has changed. Um, housing is now a worldwide commodity that's bought, t- sold, traded, and speculated on. It's not just a market where people are looking for a place to settle in for the next 35 years. And so the problem with that is, of course, families wanting to have an affordable location where they want to live are competing with this commodity structure. And that's one of the challenges. I think that everyone's having to come to grips with, how do you manage the commodity structure with the traditional real estate models without actually dampering the effects of the economy and that's I, that's a very complicated problem to solve but is this a new problem or or is this not something that we've seen in other markets around the world you, you point to hong kong or sydney australia new york city big markets like that world-class cities that vancouver has become we know that after expo we know after the olympics uh, we opened ourselves up to the world and they certainly came 
Uh, what impact is that having in relation to other major markets in the world? Well, one of the clips, news clips earlier said, use the comment to build it and they will come. And that's the problem is that we have in- invited the world to come to British Columbia. And as a result, we're paying the consequence of that. We've invited the world to come as investors, as visitors, as tourists, um, uh, to come as enterprise individuals. And so now we, we really have an issue where we don't have enough inventory to be able to meet the requirements. Look at some of the stats out of... Um, um, homeowner Protection Office for new houses um, that are built under the warranty structure for market housing since 2010, 125 to 140,000 units. That's fine, except for our population has changed by three to 400,000 in the same window. And so we're, we're not keeping up with the demands, which is part of the problem. Well, do you see density as an issue here then? Well, density is certainly an issue. Um, and everyone is saying we need more affordable housing. But at the same token, we also have people in neighborhoods, which are neighborhoods that have access to high transit, sure. saying we don't want that in our neighborhood, right? Yeah. And so there there is going to be some give and take. One of the interesting um, uh, anomalies we've seen, though, we, we've done some targeted surveys to try and find out what the impact of things like rental bylaws were on strata housing. So do rental bylaws cause a restriction for occupancy in buildings? So we did a 16-building investigation in Vancouver that included Point Grey, um, uh, Kitsilano, False Creek, Marple, Vancouver East, uh, and looked at all the areas to try and figure out what's the impact of this. So what happened in 2010 was the laws changed around rental disclosure. So a developer could impose a rental disclosure on a building that essentially prevented rental bylaws from being applied to that building. So most of the new buildings now don't have rental bylaws. Um, the, the assumption you would make out of them is that there are a lot more rentals available in those buildings, um, at, at which was the intent. There would be more rental housing available um, and that that would solve some of the problem. When we looked at the vacancies, buildings that were 2010 and later that don't have rental bylaws, um, actually have um, vacancies in the 20 percentile. Um, and the reason for that is because of speculators who have bought up multiple units and are just simply speculating on the market as a commodity. Speculators don't buy into buildings that have rental bylaws because they're not easy to buy and sell quickly. Right. The anomaly of this is in the buildings that have rental bylaws, the older buildings, that the occupancy rates were actually below 1%. Okay. So there isn't – so rental bylaws are not a barrier to occupancy. That's, that's a misconception and that's one of the, the – you know, it's one of the surprises that everyone saw out of the survey. And it's kind of interesting when you look at that. And then you look at the types of investors who are purchasing these units. Most of them are domestic. Most of them are local um, within British Columbia. They're the buyers. They're holding. They're speculating. And that's fueling the market as well. So, you know, it, 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 housing affordability is stock, inventory, what's available. The other anomaly, though, I think is Airbnb. Um, it's something that has converted a lot of rental housing mm-hmm. into short-term business investment interest for high profit gain in return. And we've actually seen a number of what were units in the rental housing stock have just simply disappeared into Airbnb. And that wouldn't be so bad apart from it's, it's removing stock from the marketplace if they were paying their fair share of taxes or some kind of uh, business uh, tax on that? Well, they're not paying their fair share of taxes. Uh, It's kind of falling into the cracks of stratas that hadn't really anticipated how to deal with Airbnbs. Mm -hmm. Stratas are dealing with security problems, access problems, overuse problems in some of their buildings, you know, the constant hotel-type atmosphere of people moving in and out every day. Uh, So stratas are having to struggle with that. Uh, One of the challenges for people in strata corporations is how to deal with Airbnbs, and they're not rentals. They're not a rental under definition. It's a business practice. Mm -hmm. So 
Colorado corporations need to look at business bylaws for two reasons. The first reason is to, to quell the business activity and control what the outcome of it is. Um, but the other reason is if you deal with it as a rental bylaw, you may actually be granting an automatic exclusion from the bylaws because of all these owner-developer right. rental exemptions. So Strata Councils uh, right across uh, British Columbia, and particularly in Metro Vancouver where the, where the demand is high, need to incorporate new bylaws to deal with Airbnb well, and services if, like that. If they're going to deal with Airbnb, short-term stays, hotel stays, VRBO, um, there, there's some others. Anything that is not captured under a um, traditional rental or tenancy agreement, they need to deal with it as a business bylaw. Is that a three-quarter vote? Bylaw, bylaw amendments will be three-quarters votes at a general meeting, and I'd strongly recommend legal advice on writing those bylaws. Would they get in short before the break here, because he's playing the music, uh, would, we, would we see Stratus supporting that? Uh, Many stratas have, even if nothing else, but to just control the type of business and activity and security that's happening in the buildings. We're going to talk about the Civil Resolution Tribunal. That's next with Tony Giaventu on uh, Vancouver Real Estate Today. This is going to be exciting and interesting. Stay with us. It's coming up next on News Talk 980 CKNW. Our in-studio guest this morning is Tony Giaventu, Executive Director of CHOA, the Condominium Homeowners Association, and we're talking all things real estate and particularly about strata life, or is that strata strife? If you have a question for Tony, feel free to join our conversation, 604-280-9898 or star 9898, anything having to do with strata life or real estate in general. I wanted to ask you about the Civil Resolution Tribunal, Tony. This is something that you've been involved with through CHOA as an organization and now in beta test. Uh, what's the what's the four one one? Well, civil resolution tribunal is going to provide a very much needed access for quick justice for strata corporations, and not quick in the sense of diminished value, but quick in the sense of time windows and expense. Uh, the tribunal um, functions off of three basic models. The first model is that there is a support system which is called the Solution Explorer, where you can go in as an owner, as a strata council member, property manager, tenant, and you can actually deal with a problem. You can go through a question-answer process. That is called the Solution Explorer. It's actually up on beta test now, and we encourage everyone to go and look at it, test drive it, um, provide feedback if you have questions about it, um, help the system to change and modify. It's a real-time system, so whether it's today, six months from now, or two years from now when it's running, you'll see constant changes in the system as it goes forward. What's the URL? Uh, CivilResolutionBC.ca. It's pretty pretty quick get to. Yeah. Uh, so, um, or you can go to the CHOA website and just click onto it with a direct link, one of the two. Okay. Um, the, so you go to, the, you go to the, the website, you use the Solution Explorer, it gives you an answer, helps you out figure out things, it provides you with videos, explains different concepts, if it's bylaws, money, property use, whatever it may be. Um, then you, if you can't solve your problems as a result of it generates a letter for you or gives you an instruction to get a hearing with your strata council, if you can't solve your problem, then you continue through the dispute process and you go through a case management process. So an information uh, provider um, is given to you through the tribunal. You start your process kind of like shopping online. Click here, add to cart. You start your file. Um, uh, you'll, you'll file your um, basic claim, some evidence, some information. The other party will be contacted. Um, and in a fairly short window, it's going to be determined whether a solution can be consensual between the parties. Right. And if it can be consensual, then what happens is a consent order is created. And that consent 
order is then binding on the parties. They have agreed that this is the solution and this is what they're going to do. Um, that will be within the bylaws of the strata, within the laws of the province of British Columbia. Uh, it's not outside. It, they're not agreements outside of normal conditions. Um, if at that point the parties can't agree, uh, what happens is the, we'll call them a case manager, but the information officer helps the diff- two different parties prepare for an adjudication. What documents you'll need, um, how to prepare for it, an adjudicator is appointed, um, you add another fee to it, and the fees are a couple hundred dollars. Uh, they're, they're very inexpensive. It's basically an administration fee more than anything. Um, you add another fee to it, um, that fee gets added on, you go to the next structure with the adjudicator, they have the documents and the records. Most disputes will be documents only. There may be conference calls for hearings. The beauty of this is it's asynchronous, which means um, while the file is opened as a person that is either applying or responding, at any time I can go in and add information. I can add evidence. I can add my declarations, um, my claims. I can go in and argue the point. Um, I can go in and make my submissions. It'll all be online in that structure. Um, as that's completed, the adjudicator then basically renders the decision. That right. becomes a binding decision on the parties. Uh, it's the decisions, though, that are going to transform this industry. Right now, if we have somebody who is not complying with a bylaw, to get an order to comply, you have to make an application to Supreme Court. It's only in the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court or through arbitration, both of which are very timely and very costly. Well, what uh, is it now? Uh, is it 18 months, two years to get to court? Uh, it could be six to 18 months to get to court, but it's not only that. It's going to be the fifteen to $30,000. Um, well, this is it. Right? Right. In, in addition to legal fees that you may have and everything else Time that you're dealing money. with. Right. And it may be a simple thing that the strata has a bylaw that says um, you can't feed pets off of your balcony. Well, why are we going to Supreme Court over mm-hmm. an owner who's feeding pets off their balcony? Right. right. What a what a waste of the court's time. So it's an opportunity to take what seem to be trivial matters to the general public, but are really very important matters to a strata community. It gives them a venue to be able to um, basically deal with these problems and get some decisions. They're enforced decisions. If the parties don't comply, um, the decisions can be filed against the strata lot. The strata corporation has to disclose these decisions with information certificates into the owners. Uh, and if they don't comply with it, then there can be a compliance order that's um, made to the Supreme Court in the, the same conviction um, as any other court um, decision that's been made. What does this fall under? Is this under the Ministry of, of, of Justice? Is this uh, Attorney General Attorney- and Ministry of Justice. Okay. That's correct, yeah. And and what role did CHOA play in this? In the, uh, the- well, development of this. The association, as well as our members in consultation and our staff, um, played an enormous role in developing the Solution Explorer and in consultation um, with all the committee members in the development of the tribunal. So it's been a huge role as we've gone forward. Beta's just running now? Beta just opened a few days ago. Okay. So you it's a you great have any test idea? time. How is the testing going? I know it's only a few days. Te- but testing is going well. And the beauty of it is you find a glitch, you can fi- they can fix it right away, right? Okay. Right? The tribunal will have the ability to amend and correct things quickly as they're going along. A solution that makes sense. And it seems like you've, you've laid out the steps uh, very clearly. And if I'm a listener at home and, and listening to this, it, it makes sense to me, something that uh, when you talk about real estate, making sense isn't always the case. Um, I wanted to talk about Airbnb. Um, when I first came to Vancouver, the first place I stayed was a, an Airbnb rental. Um, I'm not against Airbnb. I don't think um, any of us here are. But some of the solutions being offered, I think, are um, really um, short-sighted. I think there, there has to be a, a better solution for Airbnb. Um, from your opinion, I just want to know uh, your take on, I talked about Jeff Meg's uh, proposal off the top on uh, the news I want to know your take on that and any possible solutions or ideas you have 
specifically for Airbnb. You know, it's interesting. Someone came up with an idea last week that I thought was a little bit brilliant in the sense that Airbnb is basically focused on transient visitors, uh, right? And short term, um, it may be a professional who's in the city working for two weeks. It could be just vacationers who were here for three days, but but they're essentially transients. Uh, and one of the thoughts was take a region or a zone of the city and earmark it as a designated area where Airbnb is going to be permitted. Like you get a license for it, um, you pay a fee for the license, you you report it, you deal with your taxation, and it's managed in a fairly um, static way. Uh, Airbnb becomes a little bit of a challenge in areas where uh, there isn't good access to transit, uh, where there are density problems, there are parking problems, other issues. Those are the type of issues that are raising up. And, and many of the strata corporations that are dealing with Airbnbs aren't prohibiting Airbnbs necessarily. What they've done is they've created a series of bylaws and guidelines that define how the Airbnb is going to be managed. We've got to take a break. It's got to stop you. Sorry. That's okay. Uh, we can talk more about that. Anything you want to talk to Tony Gioventu from the Condominium Homeowners Association, 604-280-9898 or star 9898. The other thing that we have to talk about in this real estate climate, and that is particularly older strata complexes that are looking to sell it all off. What do we call that? We call that liquidation. liquidation. <laughs> so, thank you. That was really well done. That's what we'll talk about next on Vancouver Real Estate Today. From News Talk 980 CKNW. We try to get beyond the headlines and get into the details. Uh, what is really going on with real estate today in Vancouver? Uh, condominium living, strata life is obviously a very big part of the way people house themselves in this area. And one of the topics with the market exploding the way it has, uh, we're with Tony Gioventu, by the way. He's the executive director of the Condominium Homeowners Association. And the, a lot of older complexes, buildings or townhouse complexes are looking at liquidation. And at one time, that wasn't such an easy thing to achieve, was it? Well, it required 100% of the owners. So a unanimous vote, everybody had to vote for it. And we also didn't really have a market that was driving the values for redensification. But now what we have is, of course, we have low-density use. Um, Lougheed Station, Lougheed Mall is a great example where you have a lot of townhouse complexes. Right. So you might have 100 townhouses using up 10 acres of land uh, where there are only a two-block walk from a train station. Well, there's some logic in densifying that. Mm-hmm. You can go from 100 units to six. 600, 800, or 1,300 units, depending on the zoning, right? And so you start looking at that and you say as a townhouse owner, hey, wait a minute, our property might be worth something. The townhouse owners in turn, depending on their property, the OCP for the area, the density that it can be achieved, they may be looking at a return of two or three times the value of their current property. So, you know, it's, it's not necessarily about the fact that it's an old development is suddenly our development in this location with the current demands on property is suddenly worth so much more than what we would ever retain as an asset value. Are the municipalities open to the idea of rezoning these properties? Well, in some areas, especially when you're within a four or eight block radius of a train station, yeah. the municipality have already done that, right? And so uh, really what the Strata Corporation are looking at is, do we have a potential buyer who's willing to give us a clean deal? The buyer assumes the, the then process of what they're going to propose to develop 
develop on the site. Um, it, it's got a few pitfalls in it, though, for strata corporations. Uh, one of the problems is they get approached by a developer who says, well, I'll offer you a good price, which mm-hmm. seems like a good price. Um, but provided we don't go to public tender on this, that I'm prepared to negotiate with you, which is code for I'm really offering you a lot less than what it's worth. Right, right? exactly. So, stra- mm-hmm. so the best solution for stratas, uh, retain a lawyer who knows what they're talking about in strata liquidation and specializes in strata law, not anybody in general practice. It's a complicated area. It's new law when we come to the vote because the vote's changing to 80% shortly. When so, is that? Do you know? As soon as the regulations come in. So I suspect in the next couple months, uh, we'll see a regulation change and that'll drop to 80%. 80% of the voting rights on the schedule. Um, that there's going to change also, though. It's not just an 80% vote. You get the 80% vote or more. Then you have to go to court, um, and the court application will verify whether this really is in the best that interest of the community. That was my next question. Right? If you're a part of that 20%, can you contest that through the courts? Is that Would that be the way to go? Abs- absolutely. There's a provision for it under the Act. You could contest it. And really, the question is going to be, was this a fair deal? Is this the best price? Um, did Is this in the best interest of this community? Community to do this, and those those are some of the basic tests that are going to be applied in the application. I, I don't foresee a lot of people actually contesting when they're getting two or three times the value of their property. One of the anomalies that's going to occur, though, and and here's we'll be talking about this on the show six months or a year from now when the vote passes, um, when we see the eighty percent vote in effect, and Estrada actually votes to liquidate. And the day of the transaction that comes up, that the developer's given them the money and the deal is done, suddenly you'll have a hundred of those townhouse owners with lots of money in their pockets, all competing in exactly the same market at the (laughs) same time for the limited amount of housing that's available. And they're not the only ones. Around Lougheed Town Centre, there are six or seven properties that are looking at this. So you get three or four hundred properties in a three-month window all competing for the limited inventory that's available, we're going to have another housing problem. We're, we're going to have another tent city. Well, we, we will have another problem with com, you know competing bids, skyrocketing mm-hmm. prices, no housing affordability. Um, and in the, that'll be the short-term issue, right? In the short term, we're going to be losing potentially 100 townhouses. In exchange for that, within three to five years, we'll see a development that provides us with, you know, five or ten times the amount of, of dwelling units in the community. But that short term is going to be very complicated. Well, is there anything we can do to mitigate that that short term pain? I don't think so. I, once a, once a property liquidates, um, once the uh, the liquidator has dealt with the vesting orders and dissolved the money back to the owners, um, they're all basically going to be on the market with probably a three to a six month window from the developer to be able to relocate and, and buy something else. Whether they buy, they rent, uh, whether they move to another community, we'll basically be taking 100 families when that happens and those people will be competing or looking for a place to live. It's going to put another layer of yeah. pressure, right? Mm-hmm. So so the, so the $30 million real estate deal in Point Grey that trickles down into multiple deals that has caused this domino effect in the industry of housing is going to be felt also in liquidation side. So the $60 million liquidation of this property is going to result in a huge domino effect of all of these buyers scattered out throughout the industry. With the change in the law, obviously there's a recognition that this is a reality, this liquidation idea, uh, because it used to be 100%, if I'm not mistaken, and that yes. was near impossible to get. Mm-hmm. 80% is more realistic. What, what's the biggest, single biggest flag then that, that you would put up for, if someone were to come to you, to Choa and say, we're thinking of liquidating, what would be their, your single biggest piece of advice? 
first thing, retain a lawyer who's, who is actively involved in liquidation and strata knows what they're doing. The second thing is get a bro- then go in, um, call for bids for brokers. Get a broker who's going to represent you, who's going to be able to do basically a worldwide call for bids for the property. Get your bids in and then start negotiating off your best bid of what, what the, the best deal is um, um, f- with respect to the Strata Corporation. Um, clean bids is what you want. You don't want bids that are subject to rezoning or things. Um, if your bid goes on for two or three years, the value of your property will have stayed static while the rest of the property values would may have gone up 30, 50 or more um, in a percentile basis. So um, get a clean bid, get your owners to decide first if this bid is sufficient, whether they're going to go ahead or not. Because the vote, the actual vote of the 80% that the Strata is going to have to take is not just an 80 percent vote. They also have to appoint a liquidator who basically works like a receiver, a mm-hmm. bankruptcy trustee. They have to receive the money, make sure all the interests are paid out, then it's discharged, and then they have to clear the titles so they can handle uh, hand a clean title to the developer. Um, the So you have the resolution, you have the liquidator, you have the court application, the winding up of the strata corporation, the dissolution of the business of the strata corporation. Anything that you plan on dealing with has to be in that one resolution. We're, we're looking in some of the samples 20 to 30 pages for these resolutions, Mm. lots of legal work, and it's going to be a fair legal expense. So, you know, get a sense, are your owners really interested in this deal first? If they are, do it. Before you get to to all of that, to that point, as a strata, what are, I think you had mentioned this briefly earlier, uh, a red flag, phrasing, wording, or approach from a company? You mentioned, well, you mentioned if you hear something, maybe oh, yeah. uh, right away. Yeah, you know, you know anyone a, anyone who thinks that they've got a quick deal for you and this is a great deal and you know we this is a good value mm-hmm. and we can get it off the table and you know uh, don't go bidding on this. If you bid on this, we're not interested. You know. It, you want to go out to uh, yeah. some sort of public tender. You want to make the project available because that's where you're going to get your best price and your best terms. We've got a clock to pay attention to. Sorry, guys. Uh, Tony Giaventu, who is the executive director of the Condominium Homeowners Association. Uh, you have an open invitation to come and join us anytime. Always a pleasure. We always appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, John and I will be back in just a moment on Vancouver Real Estate Today from News Talk 980 CKNW. Appreciate your time this morning uh, with uh, Vancouver Real Estate Today. By the way, if you ever want to get a hold of this show or John Meyer or myself, uh, please go to cknw.com. We podcast each and every episode of Real- Vancouver Real Estate Today, and we also have a link uh, where you can get in contact with us for any future show ideas or topics for us to cover. This is a whole big world uh, when it comes to real estate. And, and I know, John, that you follow it from a news perspective quite actively. It's hard to keep up. It is. And it's, it's nice to have someone like Tony in studio that can break it down and, uh, you know, tell you one solution, one idea, what they're doing now. And when we read the headlines, there's just so much to wrap your head around. It's very difficult to uh, to make uh, sense of it all. We appreciate your input. Go to Vancouver Real Estate Today on cknw.com. Jamie Benteen has been our technical producer for John Meyer. My name is Ian Power. Stay with us for CKNW Weekend. That's next on News Talk 980 CKNW.